Welcome back, everyone, to Revved Up for Sunday. We are the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm Justin Crisp. And we are here for the proper 24C. That's our lectionary number of this gospel for this coming Sunday. And it's a funny one about prayer, because is this really how prayer works? The squeaky wheel gets the grease? I'm not so sure. Let's read the text. This is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Jesus told his disciples a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks mm. be to God. I just want to say, Jesus and God are coming off in a really interesting way in these last couple of um, yeah. passages from the lectionary, right? We got mm-hmm. the one where Jesus is like, you don't need to be thanked. And then the next Sunday, we get Jesus complaining because nobody ever thanks him. And then here, we get Jesus comparing God to a judge who like, has to be pestered into doing the right thing. Uh, I, I just find it funny. I just find it funny. Uh, he, is, he is a rhetorical genius, right? And we've been talking for many weeks right. about how he is trying to shock his listeners into some new yeah. understanding of God, of the kingdom, etc. But it is, uh, <laughs> these, these, these stories, these teachings, they are, kind of, they are kind of funny on the surface of them. If I had to give like the thesis statement of this particular passage, I think it's about persevering in faith. I think that's the point of this weird parable, right? The parables are, as I've said before, I had a seminary professor who said that parables are like cars. You shouldn't get caught up on the make or the model or the color. You should see where the parable is going, and where the parable's going is the point, right? So I don't think Jesus's point here is actually that God um, is, you know, that God relates to us in prayer the way that the unjust judge relates to the widow so far as God has to be pestered. Um, God gets worn out by us and then eventually answers our prayers, etc., etc. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, as Elizabeth was saying. I don't think there needs to be a one-to-one correspondence between any of these characters right. mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. God or us or etc. Some parables work that way and some parables don't. Here, I, I think that the context of the parable is really important. It follows an apocalyptic passage in chapter 17, where Jesus is comparing the days of the Son of Man, as he calls them, to um, these epic catastrophes from the Hebrew Bible, the the flood from which Noah and his family uh, escaped and were mercifully preserved by God, on the one hand, and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot 
and uh, where Lot escapes, but his wife turns back and does not, right, is turned into a pillar of salt. On the other, this is the famous, uh, one of the places where Jesus uses the language of one will be taken and one will be left, right? right? Uh, and so it's in the context of this, um, of Jesus pulling back the, the curtain on history and saying, look, this is a mess, right? History is hard. It's hard on you. It's hard on me, Jesus is saying. Uh, and then, then you get the line, Jesus told his disciples about a parable, excuse me, told his disciples a parable at their, about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. I think it's about that perseverance and faith. And then he, he ends with that, with that really, uh, that rhetorical dagger. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Which makes a great deal of sense if you read this passage in the Luke 17 in the apocalyptic right. context, right? So this is, um, the whole thing is Jesus enjoining his disciples to perseverance and faith. And then he leaves them with this, but am I going to find any kind of line at the end? Yeah. Um, but I think that's what, that's what the story is trying to communicate, even though it does so in this um, rather odd counterintuitive way by equating or comparing God to this really uh, pretty, pretty slimy, uh, judge figure. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. And you're absolutely right to bring it up within the context of the eschatological discourse in 17. Uh, I think that's the only way you can make sense out of some of that, particularly the faith thing at the end, which sounds like it should have gone in the previous chapter to my mind, but mm-hmm. I wasn't writing. I wasn't there at Luke's side saying, how about you move that <laughs> sentence over here, man? Uh, you know, just again, you know, as we're kind of finding our way in this, I think there's a few things. I think that... Um, that this isn't so much a comparison with God. I think it's a contrasting. I think he's contrasting mm-hmm. uh, rather than comparison, comparing. Uh, the other thing is, you know, I, I bring this up about every time we talk about a parable about this question about what do we call these things? Because back to my advertising days, the headline matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all call it the unjust judge. And uh, also, secondly, the persistent widow. I, I, in my work for this, I came on two others. Okay, and one of them I'm just wildly in love with. But that's uh, <laughs> one. this one is called, which I think is terrible, faithfulness in anticipation. I mean, who's going to listen to the parable of faithfulness and anticipation? I have no idea what that means. But the last one here, I think, is worthy of uh, our consideration. Parable of the feisty woman and the threatened judge. Mm. Um, now, I'm, I'm all about the feisty woman here, and I'm all about the threatened judge uh, in this. And I think that one of the things uh, is that this is actually a comedy. This mm. is meant to be hysterical. The problem is it's in the Bible. <laughs> and when it's in the Bible, we think it's going to be dour, right? This is, this, is a funny, this, is a funny, this is a funny story. This is like somebody you're hanging out with that says, hey, hey, I got to tell you this story. You know, there's this guy and uh, there's this widow who, you know, who's, who's bugging the judge. And, uh, and, and, you know, at the end of it, the key line in this whole deal is um, the judge who, I mean, it's basically saying the judge is so bad. He's like, I don't respect God. I don't respect people. And, and then he said, but this, this line, and I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out continually by coming to me. This is where we screw things up royally when mm-hmm. we translate it. So that she may not wear me out. The, the, it is literally in the Greek, do not give me a black eye. <laughs> She's worried this, this feisty <laughs> woman's going to give him a black eye. I mean, and, the, and so the thing is meant to be funny. It's meant, as you said, to be rhetorically ridiculous mm-hmm. to give people a sense that, hey, amigos here. Um, and I'll say finally with the beginning, remember we, how we start the gospel? 
dear Theophilus mm. and Theophilus being God fear and uh, and Luke is telling us an orderly account mm. and here he he tells us what it's about pray always and not to lose heart mm. this is like mm-hmm. you know you're writing you're writing your PhD dissertation you write this chapter is about X yeah. and this mm-hmm. the next page is about Y but anyway mm-hmm. hey, he gives you the thesis statement he gives the you the topic right it's the, top. the yeah. paragraph yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we have the comedy, we have the, you know, the unlikely comparison to God. And I, I think, um, it, yes, I mean, Luke is telling us exactly what, he's ta- what Jesus is teaching here about. And so to, to put the lens on the first century Lucan community, yeah. they're going through terrible times. And, you know, I right. think if, if Jesus, if it was written to Luke's people outright, he would say, Jesus taught us this for our time you know, pray always and do not lose heart. And they were being persecuted left and right, you know, in fear of their lives, hiding under cover. It was a really terrible time to be alive and to be a Christian. And so they saw no justice. Everything around them was unjust. The system, their authorities, the oppressors. It was a terrible, you know, a terrible time to follow Jesus out and be open about it. And so I think that it's a teaching for them. Yeah. And um, it's also, I think, for us, a teaching about uh, persistence. But, but James Allison, who I, you know I love, uh, has this way of reading this parable where it's Jesus who's the widow. And, you know, persistently, <laughs> oh, wow. you know, coming again and again, asking for justice and, you know, longing for the coming of the kingdom of God and trying to usher it in in this unjust world doesn't lose heart never ceases to pray and you know and then his in a, in a similar interpretation he talks about how we all have an internal unjust judge that we sort of project onto God and we're afraid to ask for the things that would make our lives right and we, you know, approach God as if he is this kind of unjust judge. And mm. it's, it's internal. Um, but Jesus is teaching, you know, how much more will God who loves you help you and, and be, be quick to grant justice in your life? And um, so, I don't know, I really appreciate that, those other ways of seeing how to unravel this parable. Um, and then the other thing that comes to mind is Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, and he taught us what to pray for. And I think that that's something that we often forget when right. when we're taught to pray always and not lose heart. We have to be careful what we're praying for. Um, and maybe that's where the last sentence comes in. You know, if you spend your whole life on your knees asking for a new Cadillac and, you know, whatever, mm. that dates from my Pentecostal childhood. <laughs> that's when they used to ask for Cadillacs. Now people ask for something else. <laughs> but <laughs> that was the whole cliche. A lot to say about Cadillacs. I know. I think our pastor got a new Cadillac and that was like a sign. Um, but anyway, sorry, mom, dad, I know all is forgiven. And we're not there anymore. Uh, but, you know, people ask for that and things like that. And, and we think if our persistence will pay off, you know, name mm. it and claim it. But Jesus taught us how to pray. You know, we have the, the Lord's Prayer. And he taught we, us to pray for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done on the whole earth and not as it is in heaven and not just in our town, in our nation. You know, he taught this for the whole world. He taught us to pray that God's name would be revered um, or hallowed. I guess um, I don't. I don't know what hallowed really 
We'd have to spend some time on, on the Lord's Prayer. But, you know, to be holy and to be regarded as such. And uh, Jesus taught the culture of forgiveness and uh, reconciliation and to pray for those things and to pray that we would have that in ourselves. And, you know, these, these are the things that Jesus was telling his, his followers to pray for persistently and not to lose heart because the world won't accept this kind of a culture. And, you know, you have to sort of live it in the face of complete rejection and without cooperation. You know, the way he's forgiving his murderers from the cross and they have no sign of repentance and he's still saying forgive them for what they don't know what they're doing. And I think that's the culture of God, the kingdom of God that we're supposed to pray for. That's the justice, you know, God's justice. Um, so it's, it is, I think the genius is that it is all these things, you know, it can be so funny but the content of our prayers really, really matters. Mm. Um, I don't know. That's what comes to mind for me. I love that James Allison um, says that Jesus is the widow. Um, I also tend to think of Jesus as the widow um, with a slightly different, um, slightly different twist. So I think that the, um, the this is too strong a statement. But the first most important, <laughs> the first important line of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus is teaching his disciples and us how to pray is our Father. Because what that marks is it's an entrance into Jesus' own prayer. That's mm-hmm. what the Our Father means there. So mm-hmm. um, it's an entrance into a relationship. We now call God, we address God using the exact same familial language which Jesus used himself. Uh, Jesus, God's son by nature, we, God's children by grace, as um, uh, some of the early church fathers put it. It's an interest into his own relationship. It's an interest into his own prayer. Because um, I, I read, and that, that to me, that, that throws the whole passage into different relief, and it becomes consolation to me rather than one more thing for me to do. So, uh, you know, priests are supposed to pray a lot. That's what we're all taught to do. That's what we're all told to do. In fact, it's the vocation of priesthood, is to enter into the priesthood of Christ to, um, to, to share in that ministry, to enter into it, and to intercede for the people of God. That's, that's kind of what it means to be a priest, is to intercede for the people of God. And um, there are loads of pressures, most of which I think are genuinely good on Clergy, especially clergy who are, especially people who are in formation to be clergy, so they're not yet clergy, but they're in seminary or whatever, to figure out their prayer lives, right? Figure it out. Make sure that you are saying the daily office. Make sure that you are spending time in quiet prayer. Uh, make sure that you're doing this, 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 and this, and this. That you have a set of spiritual disciplines that can carry you through the stresses of a vocation like the one that we're all about. And that's all good, right? I think that's all true. But the fact is we all fall short of perfectly living up to our spiritual disciplines. And there can become the unjust judge inside of our heads, what Freud called the superego, can turn those spiritual that's, that, that structure of spiritual discipline into one more way for us to bludgeon ourselves. So that when we hear this passage, Jesus told his disciples a parable about their need to pray always, the person immediately says to themselves, oh, I'm screwed because I don't pray always. I do not know how to pray as I ought. 
The good news, though, is that our prayer is not actually dependent on any of those spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are good, right? Because they put us intentionally, they create space within our lives to put ourselves intentionally into Jesus's prayer. But they're not the only time that we're praying, and they're not even really, the disciplines themselves are not the heart of prayer. The heart of prayer is what's going on inside of us all the time. Uh, And it's going on inside of us because we have God the Holy Spirit living inside of us. This is the language from um, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, where he Mm. says, when we cry, Abba, Father, riffing on, I think, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' invitation to enter into his own prayer and to pray, our Father, with him. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit, Spirit with a capital S, the Spirit of Jesus in Paul's thought, the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Whenever we say, our Father, whenever we pray in this way, it's actually God praying to God inside of us. It's our entering into a conversation of God with God, uh, which we get to overhear and then also kind of um, kind of um, enter into the flow of. Um, I also think of, um, of passages in the letter to the Hebrews, which used to be, uh, you know, was traditionally ascribed to Paul, but it, nowhere in the letter to the Hebrews, as I say, was written by Paul. Um, Hebrews is actually my, perhaps my favorite book of the New Testament. Um, and in Hebrews, oh. Jesus is depicted as a priest, and he's, he, we have a, it contains lines like, um, you know, we have a great high priest over the house of God. Uh, and the idea is that Jesus is a priest in a permanent way. And from Hebrews chapter 7, it says, he is able to save for all time those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is Jesus' business, actually, is to make intercession for us. It's his business, actually, to pray for us. It's his persistence in prayer to the one he calls Father. It's his prayer, actually. That is the reason why we don't have to lose heart. That's why when I get to the last line, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I'm like, well, if he's talking about me, maybe. Luckily, doesn't matter, because if I'm unfaithful, God is faithful to me in Jesus, and it's actually his prayer that I'm trying to participate in, not whether or not I've, you know, checked off my, okay, said the office today, did this today, did this today, did this today, said all my angeluses and that kind of thing. Mm. Totally beside the point. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, super interesting, your James Allison thing. You're always bringing up things uh, to the conversation that I've never thought of. Mm. Never, never, never Wish thought I thought of it, of it myself. Uh, no, or, or you know, I mean, none of us, have, none of us have a new thought. Every thought we have yeah. has been processed through, uh, you know, more than ten thousand hours of pouring over this stuff. And, and Justin, totally. your 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 explanation of the theology of prayer, which is you just laid out for everybody the Christian theology of prayer. Uh, well done. Uh, and, and so when I read this in the context of it, uh, of the, its biblical context, I read it in the in the context of Luke Acts, right? Mm-hmm. So the whole the whole thing, and we get Jesus, who first of all uh, is the model and exemplar of prayer, right? He's always going off to a high place to pray, mm-hmm. uh, and when Jesus prays, it's revelatory. Remember, right at the start of the story, we have. Um, Jesus, when he's coming in Luke's gospel, it's only two lines in Luke's gospel. I remember I used to try <laughs> mm-hmm. to teach it when I taught the gospel, teaching in high school. I'd say this gospel is a big deal, and someone said, why is it only two sentences? Mm-hmm. But in Luke's gospel, but he's coming out of the water, and the Spirit comes upon and says, this is my beloved Son with whom mm-hmm. I'm well pleased. So this prayer is revelatory. And then, uh, and then we, get, we get a tremendous amount of instruction in prayer, mm-hmm. some of which you just pointed out. 
And, and in the in, uh, instruction, I agree, the numero uno is the fatherhood of God and his, this abedness, mm-hmm. the, the, the intimacy of that relationship. And then you laid out uh, the, some of the Lord's Prayer, what I would call, the, these are dispositions of the heart. So Jesus does not teach us technology. He does not teach us technique. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, go sit under the banyan tree and breathe for 27 days doesn't do that all of his stuff is the disposition of the heart in prayer it's the disposition of relationship and so we get in the disposition of relationship certainly we get patience perseverance don't give upness ask and seek and knock hymn 711 in our hymnal everybody loves that hymn we should we should sing that thing all the time uh we get the whole we get the whole perseverance question and maybe uh, we can pick up why do you need to be persevering later. And the second thing we get uh, is these dispositions of the heart are um, humility, but that comes next week, right? Because next week is the Pharisee and the publican. Again, these are the parables of teachings and, and, uh, and, that, and that for, for the Luke and Jesus, there's no doubt that this prayer is, is relationship. It's not technique. It's not about how to relation. The prayer itself is relationship. And it gets laid out through the Acts of the Apostles, mm-hmm. where if you want to say, you know, what are the apostles doing? Well, clearly, in uh, is it 28 chapters, these are people of prayer. What, you know, you're talking about the issues of the early church. Mm-hmm. We see in the Acts of the Apostles that these people are praying, praying, praying. And they're getting results, results, results from the prayers. So, I, I mean, there are some questions here about results. Like when, you know, the, mm-hmm. he contrasts to the unjust judge only gives it because he doesn't want to get a black eye. And but certainly God's going to give justice. I mean, there's a lot of, is God a God of justice? Is God just? And does God deliver justice to the unjust? I mean, the unjust situ- people, the unjust situations that people find themselves in. That's maybe worth about 12 podcasts. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think there's no, no downplaying the actual need for justice for the, the first readers of this gospel and for our, for our own world today. And, you know, as much as we... Uh, in tr- you know, as much as we want to kind of um, make metaphors out of it, it and, and which we're not here, but I think people often do at a price for the actual need to pray for justice on the earth and to work mm. for justice and to persist for justice. And I don't think that it's um, in, in conflict with also the internal spiritual practice of, of prayer and persistence and putting ourselves in the path of an encounter with God and in, in whatever technique right. is, is ours that's, that sets our intention, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a person who prefers contemplative practice and, and things like that, I, I, you know, the teaching is often, it's not your, um, result. It's never about results. Even in the 20 minute session, you're never supposed to end it with, well, that was terrible or, you know, that was great and that was such a high. And, you know, it's not really measured on... That one came in at a 7.5. Yes, kind, exactly of, kind, right, of like, right. kind of like diving in the Olympics. Right, I failed today. No, the, I mean, Thomas Keating said the only way you fail at contemplative prayer is to get up and walk away. You know, but when you sit down, you set your intention, you consent to whatever is going to come and, and your intention is moment by moment to release you know, release the distractions and thoughts that come, that inevitably come. That's the whole practice. And, and I think that for, that's the partic- persistence. That's the not losing heart is, you know, you know God is present and we are the ones who turn away and we are the ones who are constantly distracted. And um, yeah. so there's, you know, to pray without ceasing is to have that mindset that you always have in your 
forward conscience that God is present and in charge. <laughs> and whatever we do to align ourselves with that is really our practice of prayer. And mm. um, so I really, I love that first. I love how Luke phrases it, that Jesus yeah. was teaching about our need to pray always and not to lose heart. And um, mm. so, I don't know, that, that really packs a huge punch for me. Well, I, I'm thinking... Um while you were speaking about the way that prayer transforms us mm-hmm. and doesn't, right. it's not just a way to like persuade God, yeah, like exactly. as though God is a, is a giant Santa Claus in the sky, you know, <laughs> to give us the Cadillac as opposed to the Porsche or the Porsche as opposed to the Cadillac, right? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, even though I am, I am okay with people asking God for what they want as like a really kind of simple, um, a form of petition, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whether it, you know, whether it is to have another Cadillac, or whether it's to have a new job, or whether it's to save their marriage, or whether it's to heal their kid, or, 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 or. or. Um, but I think that what's interesting is that um, as we pray for what we want, just as in a contemplative prayer practice, we ourselves find that our prayer changes us. So. Um, Thomas Aquinas said that, you know, basically um, that prayer petition is, is a way that God actually can transform what we want into what God wants. And so I had a, I had a professor, Dennis Turner, who was um, uh, my medieval, Jules and my, uh, my wife Jules and my uh, medieval theology professor, and he was riffing on this, um, this section from Thomas Aquinas. And he was, um, he was saying, what it requires is that we are radically honest with God in prayer. And that's one thing that we can learn from the widow, right? The widow, this fierce woman, is unafraid to tell the judge exactly what she needs. And she does so persistently, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we should, um, you know, uh, Professor Turner was urging us to be candid and to be honest in prayer. And if you want the Cadillac, tell God you want the Cadillac. God already knows you want a Cadillac anyway. So just tell God you want a Cadillac. Don't be embarrassed of it. But don't be surprised if over time your desire for the Cadillac turns into a desire for something different. Um, and the example that he gave is, um, you know, if you want to have an affair, tell God, pray for the affair. <laughs> and then see what God does to your heart. Uh, because when you, when, you, when you put your desires in the crucible of God's own prayer, right, as we've been talking about, those desires begin to change. And um, it, it's not that we fool God whenever we're not honest with God about what our hearts really desire, yeah. wrong or right. Um, it's not that we fool God by, um, by hiding that or attempting to hide it from God in prayer. It's actually that in one way, we, um, we rob ourselves of one more opportunity to have our hearts transformed to wrong, from wrong to right. Um, so anyway, all that's to say, I think that any kind of prayer, actually, um, contemplative certainly, but also other, uh, other kinds of prayer, all prayer, because it is, it's entering into God's own life in some way, mm-hmm. it's all transformative of us. Mm-hmm. And that's, actually, that's the really good news about prayer is that none of us actually leaves it unchanged, even when we think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have to speak your truth. I mean, the truth will set you free. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying is when you're honest and you know, truthful in your prayer— it's safe. It's a safe space, and it's the the place of transformation. Yeah, and I mean, look at Psalm one thirty nine, where we get seventeen verses of God knows every hair mm. countable on my head, fewer than your hairs countable on your head, <laughs> and uh, and and then on verse eighteen, 
we, 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 we start to move toward breaking the baby's uh, heads on the rocks. Mm-hmm. And so th- that, mm-hmm. the fullness of that psalm is the fullness of our emotional, yeah. you know, we're known and we're loved. And also, man, I want to clobber these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that, I mean, you know, the, this does, uh, for some theologians, uh, spiritual theologians, raise the question of do we have to, which you guys have addressed, do we have to persist in prayer to change God's mind? Mm-hmm. And we would categorically say no. Right. Right. That, that, right. That's theologically for us doesn't right. work but it, but theological yes for us i mean what augustine used to talk about something about the anime you know a prayer expands our soul and allows us to receive the mm-hmm. will of god as you know thy will be doneness of things mm-hmm. and and um and also to your your comment I, I i mean it's not possible to to enter into the enter into the seriousness of the prayer life at some point if you really kind of get it and not let that thessalonians line to uh, you know, to, to pray without ceasing and to contend with what does pray without ceasing means. And we have several uh, great teachers of our tradition who have taught us about what does, to, what, is, mm-hmm. to, what does it mean, as he says here, to pray always and not to lose heart. And so I, I can't help but talk about the Orthodox tradition where that gets put in literally what is known as the prayer of the heart. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, which is the fullness of the prayer of the heart, which is played out in the, in the way of the pilgrim, the book, the way of the pilgrim. And so in, the, in, our, in our Orthodox brethren and sister, and that's how they understand uh, uh, prayer without ceasing. And then in the Western tradition, we have, uh, we have others like... Um, uh, 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 Brother Lawrence, who talks about the practice of the presence of God, mm-hmm. and then that's a little bit about what you were talking about, where your heart is is been so soaked in prayer that even if you're doing the dishes, you have a, the disposition of doing the dishes for and with Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 I would agree with you, Justin. Here at the what you said at the outset, which is this is a this is a this is um, a an interesting and almost somewhat kind of complicated passage when you start to really, mm. really, really get into it, because we have all of these teachings about prayer which are universal to us, and yet it's stuck in the, it's, it's in the context following the eschatological discourse, and so suddenly now we're, does this mean we got to keep praying so at the end of the time we mm. might have a shard of faith when the Lord returns? Uh, no offense to the Lord, but this is not actually not something I'm really worried about, but I know some people really are. They're really worried about a line like that, which I just is like, man, man, I don't know. It's too much for me. It's voltage beyond my ability to, you know, mm-hmm. put it into my little dinky voltage meter. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so what we find ourselves with here is uh, a teaching that has um, faith, justice, and prayer mm-hmm. all connected in some way. Mm-hmm. And you can pick and parse your spot on that. Um, like Allison saying, you know, this is Jesus's role, and you're going to Hebrews, which I was also really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for me, I'm just not that smart. For me, the the <laughs> thing that <laughs> the, the, the thing is like the thing is like, oh man, I just got to keep praying. Mm. Beautifully said. That's all I got at some level. I mean, I you know, there's lots of other stuff around it, but it's just like, don't stop. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you both mm-hmm. for rich comments. This is amazing how much can come out of this. I'm, I'm amazed and I'm the preacher. So thank you very much for these gems and jewels of wisdom. And yes, you were too smart for one day of a podcast, Peter. Um, so maybe that line at the end is also a segue to what comes next week, which mm. the Pharisee and the tax collector 
praying at the gate. So uh, a study in contrasts <laughs> and study in contrasts of faith. Uh, but anyway, this is um, a week for prayer. So, so we hope you enjoy this podcast and we'll see you in church. Please share, like, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen or watch. And we'll, God bless you and we'll see you in church. Oh, 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 oh,